Okay, so tonight we're going to be looking at one verse from 1 Chronicles, and we got some New Testament verses to go with it, but we're building our text tonight around verse 48 of chapter 6 of 1 Chronicles when we're looking at the Levites. So as we're going through the book of 1 Chronicles, we're getting all these names with the people coming back from captivity. It's like Ancestry.com, like we said, and we're getting the context of the people. We're getting some Jewish history and some insights that uh, have been really enjoyable for me. So when we went through this Tuesday night, it's a long chapter. There's like 81 verses in chapter 6. A lot of names. felt like I did all right. But tonight we're just coming back to this. Thank you. <laughs> we're just coming back to this key passage here where in the context... The, it was talking about the musicians that King David, around 1000 B.C., put in charge of all the music and the praise to the worship for the Lord. It was awesome. Good stuff. We get more of that in Chronicles, so we'll get to the music guys later on in this book. And then eventually it goes to Aaron the high priest and all of his descendants who become the high priest, essentially for 1,500 years from the time he was appointed there in the wilderness wandering to be the high priest. So between the very important position of the high priest of Israel and the singers who sang praise to the Lord in the tabernacle or in the temple when Solomon built it, we have this reference to the Levites. And so here in verse 48, we read this very simple verse, bookended by those other people, in wrapping up, talking about the musicians, it says, And their brethren, the Levites, were appointed to every kind of service in the tabernacle of the house of the Lord. Very simple verse with good stuff for us for the church and the body of Christ. It says that they're appointed. And tonight as we look at this topical message and apply it to the church and to our lives here at Worship Generation and the greater body of Christ, we're going to be talking about our appointed service in the body of Christ. And in the timeline that we live in, this timeline, planet Earth, the human race, 2023, the church that came before us, the church that will come after us, where we're appointed here in Southern California, where God's placed us, and even here at Worship Generation, this ministry that's been here almost 18 years as a church, 23 years as a ministry coming out of Calvary Costa Mesa, yoked and linked with the Calvary Chapel movement, the Jesus Revolution in the theaters right now, who we are. And it's good to know your place in the universe, isn't it? As an individual and as a church family, it's good to know your place. And tonight we're going to talk about this. They had their appointed service, and we, Worship Generation, have our appointed service and what's interesting, because when we read about the priests and you go like, man, it's just such a different world than ours, right? Like I can relate to Pastor Chuck Smith teaching the Bible verse by verse and praise music and all that kind of stuff. But priests in robes and all that, you know, animal sacrifices, it's like, ah, oh, it's just so different. And yet the imagery is powerful to point us to Christ. We know that all these things in the Old Testament were a shadow of things to come, but the fullness is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so, too, when we look at the priesthood, we know that Jesus is a greater priesthood, according to the order of Melchizedek, our great high priest, Jesus Christ. But that's not our study tonight. He's a part of it. He's the center of it. But it's not about him being from the order of Melchizedek and the high priest that is greater than the high priest that came from the household of Aaron and the tribe of Levi. But it's about us and our priesthood. Because there in the Old Testament, back in Numbers, God set aside of the 12 tribes of Israel the tribe of Levi. And he said, the Levites belong to me. Whatever opens the womb belongs to me. The firstborn of everything is mine. And he did this because after he struck the firstborn of Egypt, struck them down for their resistance against him and against his people, he said, I struck down the firstborn of Egypt, but the firstborn of Israel will be mine and consecrated to me. 
And then later on he said, so in exchange for the firstborn and whatever opens the womb, I'm going to set aside one of the 12 tribes to serve me wholly as to the Lord. And thus the Levite tribe was set aside. The Levites were born, and of the 12 tribes of Israel, you could be born in 11 other tribes, and you inherited this land over here, this land over there, the sea view by Tel Aviv and all that, or maybe the Dead Sea view by tribe of Gad on the other side there in modern Jordan. But you got your area, but the Levites, they were spread out. And they had common lands and territories throughout the land. They're like salt and light, like the church. They're spread out amongst the tribes. And they had a very specific purpose. Their purpose was to serve the Lord. In fact, God said to them, I am your inheritance. Not the temporal things. I give you common lands for your, to live and serve. But you serve me. And you know, when you're born a Levite, whether you liked it or not, that was your calling. But we need to realize even though it's Old Testament imagery that's hard for us to understand, robes and animal sacrifices and this stuff, it would have been highly esteemed. It would have just been, by birthright, highly esteemed. Just like most people in the world would, who don't live in America would love to be U.S. citizens, right? I mean, that's a fact. I know, I think you know that. Most people, given a choice where they could live anywhere in the world, they would still choose America. We were born, most of us were born American citizens, and what a privilege and honor that is. In Paul's time in the New Testament, a Roman citizenship was the greatest of citizenships for what it allowed you to do and just the freedom you had from that and the advantages of it. Well, when you're born a Levite, you're a Levite. And you, you, you are set apart for the Lord. And there would have been a sense of pride and honor. It's like when you come from a godly family and your parents gave you a godly heritage and you went to Calvary Chapel schools or, you know, good Christian schools and you have a biblical worldview. You should praise the Lord for that. That's a privilege and an honor. You're like a Levite if you're raised that way. It's a good thing for you, and you should honor and respect that. But in the end, you'd become an adult as a Levite, and you'd figure out where your place was on planet Earth and how you served as a Levite. If you're of the subdivision of Levite, there's the Kohathites, the Marites, and the Gershonites, so three subdivisions from Levi. The Kohathites alone were the priests, and from the Kohathites came Aaron, the high priest. So Gershonites and Marites, they were Levites, and they did certain things, and that's sort of the context here. They did every kind of service, every kind of service. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit guides Peter the Apostle, and he takes these Levites for us, and he gives us an imagery of them and applies it to us. Every believer, every woman and man, for there's neither male nor female in Christ, he takes this priesthood of the Levite that was so special, and to the Holy Spirit he says, we are a holy priesthood. Every disciple of Jesus Christ, every person that is born again, when we become a new creation, give our life to Christ, this imagery given to us through 1 Peter, is that we are a holy priesthood, building on this theme and this concept. He also says we're a royal priesthood. So not only are we a holy set-apart priesthood, every disciple of Jesus Christ, but we're royalty because we serve the king, the king of kings. And that's a consistency of like Romans 8, where it says if we suffer with him, we will reign with him as joint heirs with Christ. So we're royalty. We're in the trust. And we get all of it with King Jesus. So, but... The New Testament takes this imagery of the Levites here, this context, and makes it alive for us as it's applied to the church of Jesus Christ in every generation that came before us and the ones that will come after us. When the Lord looks down from heaven upon his people in the church, he sees a holy priesthood in this church tonight, male and female. He sees a royal priesthood tonight in this church, male and female. And so the connection between the Levites and the body of Christ is 1 Peter 
we're, we're ascribed to these things. And we're, we're set apart to proclaim his praises and to give him worship and honor and glory like we're just doing tonight with Jeff Anderson leading us in worship. So there's a natural bridge of this text in a wonderful context of application in the New Testament. But the thought, the idea, the imagery of these Old Testament priests is put forward to a New Testament congregation functioning together and existing together as a church like us tonight, moving toward our 18th year of existence as a church in this building. It was a very applicable application for us. So as we think about our appointed service, connecting the Levites to the body of Christ and here at Worship Generation, the first thing we see in this text is that they were appointed, you know, so this is our appointed service. When we come to Christ, we have a purpose in the local church. We have a purpose that links the local church to the universal church, and we have our place in human history, like I said. But it says that they're appointed to every kind of service in the house of the Lord. So I want to focus on this phrase, every kind. Every kind means every kind. Not just the most important kind, or the most visible kind, or the most significant kind, but every kind. Every kind of service. Now, we know contextually the New Testament tells us about spiritual gifts. There in Ephesians 4, talks about how Jesus gave gifts. He gave leadership gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. Romans 12 tells how he gave everyone a, a gift, a measure of grace and to serve him, and talks about different kinds of gifts. But it's a description of the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 that I want to read to you tonight. And I'll give you the verse reference, and you could turn there if you'd like to. But there in 1 Corinthians 12... Verse 4, we get introduced to us by the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts in the early church. They're actually called spirituals. The word gift is not really there in the Greek. They're spirituals, and as it's interpreted, you get the idea of spiritual gifts. So let me read this to you with the emphasis being on the first few verses. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. By the way, that's a triune verse, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In case you didn't catch that, it's a triune verse. But the emphasis is on diversities of gifts and differences of ministries and diversities of activities, like every kind. Now, there is a, a limited list of spiritual gifts if you combine Ephesians 4 with Romans 13 and 1 Corinthians 12. You, like, you, know, you get about maybe 15, 20 gifts total if you put them together. And that's awesome, but I, I wouldn't limit God to how he uses the gifts and talents he gives us and the power of his spirit to serve in the local church. So as much as we have designated spiritual gifts for service to the Lord, which happen organically, they don't really happen in a manufactured way. They tend to happen more fluidly, organically, without striving in the flesh to manufacture them. Because having begun in the spirit will be perfected in the flesh. So I find in 35 years of ministry, the most fluid flow of spiritual gifts working is people just loving the Lord and being organic and not trying to manufacture something in their flesh. But my emphasis tonight in reading this text to us is not so much the gifts themselves or even the exercising of those gifts, but the, the diversities of the gifts, the differences of ministries, and the diversities of activities, because we're talking about every kind of service is what the Levites had. And we want to have a broad vision of how God uses us and can use us in the local church. And tonight, I definitely want to inspire all of us to have a broader vision when we leave here than when we came here as to our place in this local church for such a time as this. But even beyond that, wherever you go in your church experience. Because honestly, a lot of people have come through here in 18 years, right? And they're all over the United States. And they're involved in other churches and under, under other circumstances. 
Think of I me mean, like Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa might look like a certain way to, tomorrow morning, nine years after Pastor Chuck went in glory to be at the Lord. But all the hundreds of thousands of people impacted by that ministry, word for today and all these things past and even present, they're all over the world. They're not limited to a building at 3800 South Fairview Avenue. It goes on and on and on. So we're sharing this place right now, but we'll all go on and on and on. We might all be here together step into eternity, but we might go different places like the people that left for Texas and Idaho and these other places they've gone in recent years. And that's okay. It's important, though, we understand the value of the gifts God's given us in the local church and the talents and skills he's given us to be a blessing in the local church. And so there are spiritual gifts, but I would add to this, and this is a key thought, we know God makes everyone unique. We're all uniquely and wonderfully made, fearfully and wonderfully made, as it says in Psalm 139. And we all know that before we're born, God determined a purpose for us, Jeremiah 1.5. And so really, our interests, our talents, and our skills, when when we belong to the Lord, I would say this, where God puts the spiritual over the practical. So you have the obvious spiritual gifts, but then you have practical equipping and gifts and life skills, and God puts the spiritual over that practical, your education, the things you've learned, and now those things can be used for the kingdom in your generation and for a future generation. Later on, after it listed these gifts of the Spirit, in verse 11 of chapter 12, it said, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So the spiritual gifts are distributed each one individually as God wills, And I would say the human gifts and intellect and athleticism or compassion and all these various things that make us so uniquely us, God distributes as he wills. And a healthy church is going to see a healthy balance of different gifts operating, the spiritual plus the practical with the spiritual. And I want you to think about your practical with the spiritual in este lugar, in this place. Because If we're going to grow and go forward, and believe me, I only have one vision for this church, grow and go forward. We're the victors. And I wake up every day with this church and in my life, and I see grow and go forward. I see Genesis 1. I've blessed you, and you'll multiply. And that's all I see for the kingdom. And to be fruitful in that, and to go forward in Southern California on Saturday night at Shoreline Baptist as a Calvary Chapel affiliate, We need a vision for where we fit in, and we need to ask ourselves, are we fulfilling our place, spirituals, plus practical with the spiritual, in this local church for such a time as this? Are we fruitful and fulfilling what we're here for? Is it structured and accountable, like people that come here at a certain time to do certain things, or is it more fluid and organic? I mentioned Tuesday night, our former deacon, Randy Krasko, who's now a pastor at another church, he used to come out on Saturday night, and he'd look for new faces, and after a while, if you're paying attention, you notice he's talking to a new face every service, and then he's going back to what was formerly new faces, and now they're familiar faces, because Randy Crosco reached out to them. Just an incredible ministry. We used to pray upstairs collectively before service, and when he prayed for me, I always just felt a little bit better about the service, how it was going to go. It was very special. But thinking about our congregation right now, I thought of Scott Fahey, who, who does our security. Now, see, Scott Fahey was a policeman, or he might say he was a cop, and he oversees our security. And I must tell you, it's the best security we've ever had. It's the best security I've ever had, including what I had at Calvary Costa Mesa back in the day, 2000 through 2005. The level of professionalism, 
and maturity and with the spirit, what he's done for this church has made me feel much safer because we know people come against, you know, things can happen. And our confidence is the Lord, and we pray for things. And, you know, I said this before. A guy pulled on a, knife, a knife on me, and I said, in Jesus' name, drop that knife, and he did. So I've had that work once, but I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if bullets obey the same way, okay? I, I say that facetiously, but reverently as well. And, you know, Scott came here about a year and a half ago, and we were, we were I like Scott, and I, I, I like this guy, you know, and, and he, he's kind of serious, but aren't most cops serious? If you've got a cop in your family, they're, they're pretty serious. Like, they're serious because they deal with serious stuff. When my son Luke was training to be a cop, I'm like, dude, why are you so serious, man? He's like, I'm going to be a cop in Long Beach. I'm like, well, you probably should be serious, okay? He, the Lord closed that door, but he was serious. When someone's protecting us from evil legally and physically and practically, don't you want, it, want them to be serious about it? You, you do. For sure you do. When I was at Big Calvary, my wife was in charge of the school for lockdown. We had an incident a year and a half ago here where we had an event going on in the gym after service. A guy walked in here after service in the dark with a black backpack, sat right by there by Robert and Ethan, and refused to leave when the pastors told him to leave. That was a serious situation. He wouldn't leave. Jennifer came to us in the gym, closed us in the gym, put us on lockdown. Jacqueline Frisbee filmed the guy as Garrett and Alex tried to reason with him and filmed him as being when he pulled away right before the police came. And we were able to find out who he was, where he is, and what his deal is about. And we've had to confront him a few times since then. We had an incident last year about this time at a food and fellowship. You weren't even aware of it, but it had been building for months. We had a situation that was flagged, and we were just like, this could go in a not-so-good way. And, but we got to like just give it some space. And I'll never forget that night, because it could have gone really bad in the food and fellowship. You know, we have a sweet spirit in there, and this, this was something, and it, and it was like, this could go bad. And Scott Fahey, along with a few others were there, they resolved it, and they escorted the individual out, and most of you never even saw it. It was like an angel was like, hey, look over here, more tacos. And you even see what went on. Now, there's no spiritual gift for being a policeman and knowing law enforcement and law, but aren't you glad we have a policeman, foreign policeman that knows law enforcement and law and has the spirit over him to do what he's doing, as well as the other men and women who help with security here. You see what I'm saying? Like, we're not going to see 1 Corinthians 22. And when the policemen, you know, the gift of spiritual gifts of policemen. No, we need people who know how to deal with criminal minds, resolve disputes, domestic disputes, and de-escalate a situation for the safety of everyone else around it on a professional level. Because let's be honest, drop that knife in Jesus' name doesn't always work. And I got scolded by my boss, Pastor Gaylor, for doing that because the guy was trying to steal my car. He ran away and I chased him. And Gail was like, no car's worth chasing somebody. I'm like, it's just instinctive. It's like a big wave of pipeline. It's wow. I'm like, well, don't do that again. So I use it as an example, and I'll use one more on this one because it's important. Years ago, when I was 14, I went to the U.S. Surfing Championships in South Padre Island, Texas. I was an alternate for the WSA, Western Surfing Association, and I worked at Ukigawa Tomatoes in the summer in the packing house to earn money to pay my way to Texas. And because it wasn't a, a high venue place, some of the surfers in front of me didn't go. So I qualified and I went to Texas. And there in Texas at the open, I was so excited. I'm like 14, this is my dream. I'm dreaming of being a pro surfer. It's 1975. There's not even a pro tour. And I'm there for my dream. They do the opening ceremony. And then Yancey Spencer, who was in the surfing magazines at the time, 
To this day, probably the most famous surfer ever to come on the Gulf Coast. Yancey Spencer got up. They said, oh, there's a thing going on after the ceremony. Yancey Spencer's going to talk. I'm like, oh, Yancey Spencer's going to talk. He's in the magazines. This is my world. That's all that matters. He got up and he shared the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He shared his testimony and the gospel. And here's what I remember most about that night. Because, you know, doing a book on my life, I've been recollecting these things. And I can still picture the room and everything. But I remember most is, you know, I'd been raised Catholic. I'd gone to catechism. I'd been confirmed. I went to Bible studies off campus in fifth grade in Charlottesville. I went to Bible studies outside the Catholic Church during Mass on Sundays in Charlottesville during the Jesus Revolution when the Catholic college students took us and taught us Bible studies, good news from modern man. I had, I had a better understanding of Jesus than maybe some Catholics might have in a different situation. But you know what happened that day when Yancey Spencer got up and his, his brother, John Spencer, still pastors the Calvary Chapel in Pensacola. He's been pastor for like 40 years. Big Calvary right there in Gulf Breeze, Pensacola. What happened that night when Yancey Spencer shared the gospel is in my mind, two things came together that I'd never seen together. Jesus and surfing. Jesus and surfing. In my world, catechism, the priest at the mission in Oceanside, St. Francis priest, it was all, that's that world, but I'm going to be a pro surfer, and that's, this is this world. Yancey Spencer put those two together, and he made Jesus a surfer for a surfer. And this is what I want you to think about. Your interest, your gifts, your skills, your talents, your education. What is practical in your life that God puts his spirit on and makes spiritual for the kingdom? Because there's bikers for Christ, there's RV people for Christ, and there's surfers for Christ. There's dog walkers for Christ, there's kitty people for Christ, there's everything for Christ. So whatever it is your interest is, think on that as well. Make your practical for the body of Christ is spiritual. And of course, with the local church, with your gifts, you go out, you serve in the church, it benefits the church, but you go out and you reach people through your world, and then maybe they come to church with you. Court goes out and shares his faith, and sometimes those people show up at church. That's, you know, you work and you do this, and sometimes you ask a coworker to come to food and fellowship, and they do. Or you ask them to come to the women's event, and they do. Every kind not the most important, not the least important, not some, every kind of service in the house of the Lord. I worship generation body of Christ. I want you to be thinking as we wrap, move toward the completion of the first quarter this year, what is every kind of who you are that can be used even more for the Lord than currently is used for the Lord in and through the local church, but to the benefit of the universal church and humanity as a whole. Now, The second point is of service. So the Levites were appointed to every kind of service. This was the first great lesson I had to learn in ministry, was you really truly become the servant of all. You know, it's one thing when you read about being the servant of all. It's quite another when God shows you what that looks like, isn't it? But when you get sent to Virginia and you get thrashed for the kingdom, (laughs) like I'm not so sure about this servant of all stuff. I'm just not sure about this at all. It's humbling, serving others. It's so humbling that Jesus showed us the absolute lowest point of what a human being is willing to do in service to others. There in John chapter 13, before he's betrayed, he got up and he washed the disciples' feet. We're familiar with this story, but I want to read this text to you. Chapter 13 of John, verse 13 says this. Jesus washed their feet. Peter said, no, don't do that. And like, no, I'm going to. And Peter's like, okay, then do it all. And no, that's not necessary. And so verse 13 
Jesus says this. Do you know what I've done to you? Verse 12 and then 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, has, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In this text, he's the master of all. Now, Jesus said elsewhere that the greatest in God's kingdom is the servant of all. He didn't come to serve, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And that's the example for every follower of Christ. Jesus said, unless you pick up your cross and die to yourself, you're not worthy to be his disciple. For in losing our life, we find our life. And in dying to our pride and our self-interest and humbling ourselves before the Lord and serving others, that's where we find our life. We lose the temporary life that we can't keep to gain the eternal life that we can't lose when we become the servant in service to others, of service, of service. See, a lot of people, most people going to ministry realize, like, well, I'm called to serve. But, you know, you, sometimes you can't tell by how they carry themselves and act in their home, in their community, at work, or at church. But if you're truly called in ministry, a deacon, a deacon's wife, anyone, a children's ministry worker, you know this. You help out in the nursery. See how much you get beat up for that spiritually. You realize that the, the death of our pride and flesh and the, the battles you fight, oppression you work through, through to just come and serve and serve the Lord, it refines you and it takes the rough edges off. It, it's a little more of Christ and a little less of you. And I'm 35 years of exhibit. 35 years of being under that death sentence by the Holy Spirit refining me and, and, and getting things out. Oh, I love this text because... About 10 years ago, I got this bright idea, like 25th year I'm married. I'm like, you know what? I want to wash my wife's feet. You know this story. Some of you don't. I'm like, I'm like oh, look at me. I'm, 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 I'm going I'm to wash Jennifer's feet. I'm going to wash Jennifer's feet. I said, so whatever it was, I, I, like, I had this great idea. So I come out, honey, I want to wash your feet. And she goes, I prefer you wash the dishes. Such a powerful, like, wow. You know, when they say, like, you eliminate unnecessary words so the only ones that really matter stick around. Like, you know, what do you say to that? You just walk away. Like, that's, there's nothing more to say. Like, that's over. That's it. That's it, you know. And you, you, you learn that every kind of service. And if you learn that, if you're married in your home or you have roommates, when you go to, way to college, these sorts of things, you learn that at work, you just really bring that servant's heart. Now, we know in the business world that when you talk about 20% of the companies make 80% of the revenue in their industry because the 20% of the companies provide better service, customer service, than the other 80%. They show up early, do the job right, have a plan, have vision, and particularly customer service is renowned. That's why Nordstrom's has outlasted all these other companies like Kmart, right, or Toys R Us. Nordstrom's number one strength is customer service. It's, it's world famous in the business world. Their customer service goes above and beyond. When I worked retail at Hobie Oceanside that became Surfride, I learned a lot about how important customer service was. It's just so critical that you serve. So the business world, they know, like, there's a reason one restaurant, two restaurants, one might have better food than the other. They might not make it because they, they don't give better service. 
They don't, they don't treat you right. They don't treat you with respect. They take longer to get your food there, and they treat you like they're doing you a favor. But this restaurant, the food might be 25% less as good to Italian restaurants, but they treat you like royalty. They get you your food, and they treat you with respect, and they honor you and value you. Which one do you go back to? Okay? So in the world of business, customer service is everything. And really, in the world of elite customer service, the top 5% that make everything is because they have great, not just great customer service, excellent customer service. Now, that's the world, and much of what they attain to, they leave behind unless they serve the Lord in that format and that structure. But the church, of all people, should have the very best service, right? Because whatever we do, it says unto the Lord. And so if it's a spiritual or a practical with a spiritual on it, it should, it should be excellent, it should just shine. It should just be glorious. That's what it should be. It should be at the highest level. The, the focus, the vision, the effort, the completion of the task. There should be so much personal pride in the right sense of the word for the honor of Christ in whatever we do. It should be intentional, and it should be the pursuit of excellence, and it should demonstrate faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So whatever we do for the Lord... There's going to be an element of faith. That means we might be out of our comfort zone. But we bring our best and we trust the Lord with the rest. We fill the water pots, he turns it to wine. That's how it is. And so even here, they're of service. And it reminds us that whatever we do in the church, it's, it's about serving others. It truly is about others. I had that bumper sticker from Pastor Gail Irwin years ago. He did some different bumper stickers after he wrote the Jesus style and the church style. But the one said others. And I put I had that bumper sticker on uh, Putt-Putt. That car was called Putt-Putt. Jan Jameson gave us that car. It was a Honda Civic from like 1990 or something. Thing just, it's a Honda. It went on forever, right? His name was Putt-Putt. And I had the Others sticker on it. And, you know, when you're driving a car that has a bumper sticker, Others, it affects how you behave in Orange County on the road. Yeah, I mean, like, you just can't, you know, like, you, you just can't. It's like, It's hard. It's so hard that when Timmy began to drive at 16, he asked me if I'd take it off for him. I go, all right, Timmy, yeah, I'll take that off for you. Yeah, we'll do that. I understand, Timmy, it's hard for a 16-year-old to drive around the bumper sticker that says, others. That's, that's, that's more than any teenage male can bear at 16. I, I, I bear witness to that, so we'll, we'll take that off for you. But it really is others. And that's what we need to understand when I think of the people that serve here, again, the wonderful people that serve in this ministry, the children's ministry, the women's ministry, you know, every Bible study Susan Branch ever teaches, there's such a spiritual battle for it. There's so much that goes on just to show up and spend two hours with the women. There's a battle for my wife. It's a battle for everybody, the other women in leadership. Like, you know, you do a women's tea. You think you could do a women's tea in June and just be like, you know, unicorns and daisies in the sunshine with, you know, June, June gloom. No, it's a knockdown, drag out battle because people are bringing friends that aren't saved and they're going to hear a message that could touch them like Nancy Spencer touched me back in 1975. So, it is about serving others. And, and, it's, and it's about truly giving them to the Lord and, and praying for them and seeing them like the Lord would see them. In reflection of 35 years of ministry, I celebrated that back in February, 35 years being a pastor, I reflected so much on like how I do things differently in, in ministry. And you know, poor Jennifer, she's every morning I'm like, you know, I've been thinking about this. You know, 
I would not let toxic people come to me every single week and dump the same toxin on me week after week after week after week. I would not do that anymore because I thought that was ministry. There's things you do that you think is ministry when it's just people manipulating you. And you want to be a good pastor so you never say no, but you realize about three, four, five years into it, you got to say no more than you say yes. Jesus said no to a lot of things and a lot of people. So I've been very reflective. But even on things where I felt like, gosh, you know, like, man, I got snickered on that. Oh, that first year in Vista... It's actually the second year we were doing the drug and alcohol ministry. And I wanted to see the, the ministry grow, and I wanted to reach people. And I, you know, I did drugs. I was stupid, you know, and I did stupid things drinking. And I, 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 can, I can do this, you know, but like we had serious people, like not just like recreational high school stuff, but like people that wrecked their lives, right? So they're trying to rebuild their lives like I've been through with my sister. And uh, it, it, in, in doing all that, you know, you, you want to be a good pastor, like you, want to like, you want to serve people. You want them to come out every Thursday to the drug and alcohol ministry. You want to be there for them when they're in court. You know, like, yeah, they're doing good. They've been clean for two weeks. You can trust them. You know, like you do stuff like that, right? And, um, but I remember there was a woman, and she needed someone to move her. And the only day she could move was my day off. And I'm a, well, I'm a second-year pastor, and I'm a good pastor. And that's what pastors do. They move former drug addicts when they need to move. And I'm the director of the drug and alcohol ministry. I'm going to move her. Well, you know, she complained the whole time I did it. She hadn't prepared for anything. I was like literally allied movers. I mean, I had to put it in the box. And, stuff like, ah, and she's complaining. and went all day long. I wasn't with my wife. I took a day away from my wife. See, those are things I wouldn't do again quite like that. It was a day off, right? So I remember I moved her. I'm like, well, you know, okay. That's, I'm, never saw her again. You know, in the first week she didn't show up, I was like, where's that woman I moved? That cost me a day of my life, man. Like, that, that, you know, uh, college students would charge you 500 bucks for that, for something, you know, even back in 1989. She never showed up. I never saw her again. And then, you know, like, you know those old cartoons when they look in the mirror and they turn into a donkey, like, Neah. you know, like they've been had? Like, I felt like that. I was like, this woman, I didn't even know. They're like, oh, I'm going to serve Jesus. Sure, I'll move everything for you. I'll pack it all. I'll move it and get you there. And, oh, man, blah, blah. Never see him again. So then your problem is being bitter. Like, oh, this is what the ministry is. <laughs> but, you know, now 35 years later, I say, you know, it all worked out. It, you know, because now when you're 62 and you know you're in the fourth quarter, you're like, hey, you know what? Like, that wasn't so bad. I mean, it wasn't so bad. That's what, you know, when you serve, you, it's always nice to serve and people say thank you, but you people in the service sector, the restaurant business, you know, as a waiter or waitress, you can give someone the best service and they might be so unhappy, they complain, they complain to the boss, I want to talk to the manager, right? You do know what I'm talking about, yes? Oh, it's hard when that happens in Jesus' name, but you don't do it as unto people, you do it for people, but as unto the Lord. So you can see them the way he sees them. So when you're washing their feet, you see them the way Jesus sees them. In other words, you're picking up their dishes, you're cleaning their laundry, all those things. I've talked to so many women who are unhappy in marriage, and they found strength in their marriage because they did it as unto the Lord, and they were doing it for their husband, for the Lord. And they didn't, it'd be nice if the husbands appreciated, but it was still beautiful because they did it as unto the Lord. Once, like Leah in the Old Testament realizes she doesn't find fulfillment in men, but in the Lord, then she's good to go. Finally, the third thing we see here is of the house of God, which brings us back to how we started, that it really is about the house of God. So when we think about serving in a restaurant, it looks like one thing. When we think about serving at Nordstrom's, you know, it looks like another thing. When we think about serving in the church, I mean, some people get compensated. People get compensated here. Most people volunteer in what they do. 
And we appreciate it. We pray for them. And they're years and years of eternal fruit. The Lord knows all that. But we serve in the house of the Lord. And this is so distinct compared to any other place you can serve. Because like I said, I've worked in room service at the Sheraton. I worked at a surf shop. I worked for Hang 10 doing promotion and marketing. I've done, I worked for a surf magazine at one time trying to sell ads for Breakout Magazine. I've had some adventures. I mowed lawns, worked in Ukigawa Tomato Packing House. Worked for my dad all the time doing landscaping. It was humbling, but it motivated me to get a better job because it was hot in Vista in August. And I'm like, okay, this is not what I want to do the rest of my life. And I, I did lots of things. I've done a lot of jobs, like some of you in, in your 60s, you know, like different things. But when I worked for my dad, I worked for my dad. When I worked for Surfride, I worked for Surfride. And yes, I could do it as unto the Lord, especially like when I worked for Surfride, or when I worked for Billabong, excuse me, when I worked for Billabong, and I did their U.S. team in 1999, I was a pastor, and I was serving, running their U.S. junior program. So that was unto the Lord. But in the end, when you walk away from 117 Waterworks Way, Irvine, it's not like walking away from the body of Christ or changing church location. Like that was a job, you did it unto the Lord, but... That's, that's not the church. This is the church. The church in 1 Timothy 3 is, I want you to know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Oh, see, that's a big difference right there, right? This is the only, like, as a local church where Christ is the head, because he is the head, and we're saved by faith, and we believe the whole counsel of God, so we're in a world of 15,000 denominations, we're part of the Calvary Chapel movement, and we are biblically sound in our foundation and who we believe in and who we're serving and who's at the right hand of the Father and the glory to come. And when we gather here and we sing songs with the worship leaders like Jeff tonight, and I open the Bible and teach the Bible like tonight, we are built around the truth. See, when you bring your friends and family here and people serve their children in the children's ministry, you bring your friends to a place where it's the pillar and the ground of truth. And you go up in this youth room, your friends are going to hear truth. When Danny Gutierrez comes here next week, if he were to bring his friends, his co-workers from where he works, or Hannah, his fiance, brought her co-workers from where she works, and they came to hear him do worship, they, they, they've been to our church a number of times now, and they know that this is a place that's the pillar and the foundation of truth. And so... This is not only a safe place because of people like Scott Fahey and pastors like Sam back there and everyone working together and Anthony, but it's also, above all else, a place of truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth, and he's the exalted one over us. We exist because of him. In fact, Ephesians 4 says that he gave gifts that the leaders could build you up in the faith that's in Jesus Christ. My calling as a pastor teacher is to equip you for the work of the ministry and that you're not tossed to and fro by weird beliefs and false doctrines, but you're firm in your faith. So twice a week, you can bring people here, and this church, it's not the building, but the building, of course, is a church, and there's, we've talked about the value and the holiness of a place where you meet, but the church is the church of the living God. We are a living, eternal organism. The Holy Spirit's with us. He's in you, and he's with us. There's no other existence like that now you can have parachurch organizations like maybe like youth for christ on campus or christian surfers having a conference and they you know they have the commonality of surfing and 
they're not really a church, but they're gathered, so it's like a church gathering, right? That would be somewhat like that. But the local church, they're in the book of Acts. After all those people got saved in Acts chapter 2, it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in prayer, in fellowship, and the breaking of bread. They were together. And then we're told they met house to house, and they met in the temple daily, and they're rejoicing and praising the Lord, and God gave them increase. There's nothing on planet Earth that looks or is worthy to be compared with who we are tonight as the Church of Jesus Christ. We're a local church in Orange County. And look at us. And we're part of this greater Calvary Chapel movement. We're part of the evangelical church in America worldwide. We've invested all over the world for years in world missions and what they're a part of and what they're doing. We're, we're the church, and we're the pillar and ground of truth in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There's no higher calling than to serve in all kind of, to, in all things, in all kinds of things, to serve in the house of God. It's the ultimate calling. It's the greatest privilege to serve in the local church. So whether you're serving by praying for us, you know, sometimes I say like, hey, ladies, pray for the men. We're doing coffee and donuts on Saturday. I mean it. And I know you know I mean it. When I say to the men, men, the ladies are getting together Saturday. Pray for Susan and the women. I mean it. And I hope you know I mean it, men. I mean it. Every ministry, see, the moment you pray for a ministry, you've now touched that ministry. And I say you can follow the money trail because we always find money for what we really want. And you follow the time trail because we always make time for what we really want. I would add to that, follow the prayer trail. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And if you're a praying woman, and where you're praying, you're going to care about those things. If you're a praying man, you're going to pray for those things, and you're going to care about those things. The moment you start praying for things, you take ownership of those things. Years ago when I was asked to do the K-Wave radio for the Harvest Crusade, and we've given money at various times to the Harvest Crusades, I prayed more fervently than I ever had before because, like, I'm going to be on the radio. I literally was doing play-by-play for people going forward. I'm not going to show up and do that for Greg Laurie in the harvest ministry. I, like, I, I prayed like it, like it really, like, I put more to it. And ever since then, I just have, as a byproduct, a greater respect for Greg Laurie and his ministry, right? You can't pray for someone and not have a bigger burden for him. You can't labor in prayer and fight a battle for someone spiritually and not greater appreciate them for who they are in the kingdom of God. It's a natural byproduct. Jesus said, where your treasures, your heart will be also. And I say, follow the money trail. And, I, and then I say, follow the prayer trail. So if you don't know what your ministry is, just pray. Just pray. Just pray as things come up to be aware of. Just make your, just pray. Just pray. Even you don't, like, just pray for WG. Pray for Shoreline Baptist Church. Pray for Pastor Matt from Shoreline. Just start praying and then things will start moving. And, and, and that God will begin to show you what kind of things, what, what every kind of thing, you, your thing what, what your thing is, and how it becomes part of this thing in service to the house of God. I want us all to just be so fruitful in this journey of life and in this season. And so I close with these, these thoughts for you. We dedicated Mark Coca about a month or two ago here. And in my world, I see everything through the eyes of Mark Coca. What do I want for Mark Coca when he's 80 in the year 2100? 
And do I believe there's a better future for Mark Coca than, what, than what's behind us? And I say yes and amen. So I leave you with this thought. We are the pillar and ground of truth. We are the victors because Christ is the victor. We are not the victims. And we live by faith, not in fear. And we have vision, purpose, courage, and we go forward, onward, and upward to glory. Yes and amen.